Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley, and with me is Gavin Phillips. You are listening to the Really Useful Podcast. This is very much the tech podcast for technophobes, in which we bring you the latest tips and tricks and news that will help you make better use out of the technology around you, your devices, software, all that kind of thing. And uh, really, we, we, we stay away from kind of esoteric and business-related tech and really give you the, the bones, the bare bones of what's really happening that affects how you're using your tech in the in the present. How are you doing, Gavin Phillips? Uh, really well, Christian. Uh, it's obviously been a uh, bonfire night here over the weekend, so we went and looked at two displays, which was really good, um, and it managed to stay dry during the bonfire and uh, fireworks part of the evenings, and then both times, as soon as the display had finished, it lashed it down with rain immediately. Oh, so. Yeah, good timing all round, though. Wow, we. Um, I mean, I'm fortunate to have said that we, to, to say that we've not had any of these storms that fit the UK. We just had very persistent rain, which is absolutely nothing new in my part of the world. <laughs> nice and wet for the start of winter. Hey. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, well, yeah, as I say, we're here to uh, chat about stuff related to tech that helps you, you know, understand the uh, basics get better insights into how you're using things and just you know be more productive with the technology that you're using i guess is the best way to put it we're going to kick off with some news items that are of particular relevance the first one is kind of concerning especially at this time of year as we approach black friday and christmas amazon has been using an algorithm to raise prices on other sites just let that sink in not on its own sites, well, not necessarily on its own sites, but other sites. Uh, this is a charge leveled at Amazon by the uh, FTC in the United States, the Federal Trade Commission, uh, which was investigating uh, antitrust activities within Amazon. Um, now, Amazon have called the claim baseless and irresponsible, but even so, I mean, it's a big claim to make, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, it's quite wild, actually, isn't it, when you think about it? Because I'm <clears throat> sure you think they'd want to attract more people to their sites, uh, to Amazon, with lower prices. However, it turns out they're using this algorithm to predict when the perfect moment to raise prices is, because they know that other sites will also will follow follow their pricing schemes. Yeah, which is it's quite incredible, isn't it? Yeah, they've um, they, they call it Project Nessie. <laughs> I don't understand the relevance of that at all. Yeah, so Amazon says this isn't happening, but the complaint says Amazon has turned Project Nessie off during periods of heightened outside scrutiny and then back on when it thinks that no one is watching. Uh, Project Nessie has generated more than $1 billion in excess profits for Amazon, according to the hmm. FTC. The best thing to do here really is to, uh, I think, rely on those uh, price watch tools, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Things like Camel, 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 for yeah. example, really useful to track the prices, especially actually, Christian, because as we record this, the looming prospects of Black Friday uh, and all of the associated madness is, is, is there, isn't it? And uh, yeah. it's one of those times of year where something like this tool is probably going to have been used or is in use to adjust prices to make those ever so exciting deals appear and you know a little price check will might reveal that you might have got it cheaper in the summer or if you wait a few months it's probably going to drop off in price even further no i uh 
I know we do tend to talk about Elon Musk a lot, but he does have his fingers in a lot of technological pies. Elon Musk's AI project is launching. Elon Musk uh, is an AI project is launching, as I say, not his uh, cologne. Do that joke again. But uh, it needs doing. It's one, you know, why hasn't he? Why hasn't he launched a cologne with that name? It just seems like the most obvious thing to do. No, we'll wait for that day, though. <laughs> it will happen. It's got to happen one day. Yeah. Uh, he's he's launching a new AI project. This is partly due to the fact that he was involved with OpenAI early on and then yes. uh, bailed, uh, for want of a better word, perhaps. Uh, it's called XAI, isn't it? Which has been released to a select group of users. And he describes it in typical Elon Musk manner in some important respects. It is the best that currently exists. It's quite amusing, isn't it? The whole idea that he's done two months of work on a project and uh, now declares it the best. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, there's not many other people in the world that would be so brazen, would they? Interestingly, though, in fairness to uh, Mr. Musk and the XAI team, the information they've released so far shows that, at least for now, it's just about outperforming um gpt 3.5 which is um made by OpenAI, which have the gpt 3.5 and gpt 4 gpt 4 is the one most people talk about and use because it seems quite futuristic and it answers all your questions very accurately um so their first product which they've called grok one uh is looking like it's slightly better than OpenAI's gpt 3.5 and sticking with Elon Musk, Stephen King, the uh, esteemed horror author, has called on Elon Musk to change X back to Twitter. Saying, and I quote, we need a beep for this, this shit's got to go. <laughs> Very erudite. <laughs> yes, isn't it? You can see why he's an author. Of some repute, yeah. can't you? <laughs> uh, Stephen King has, of course, been a uh, critic of Musk for quite some time, and it seems he's one of the few people that Elon Musk uh, will uh, engage with on a uh, semi-regular basis. So perhaps his uh, opinion has some sway. It was a discussion between uh, Musk and King that settled on the eight dollar per month price for uh, X Premium, which was then known as Twitter Blue. So uh, perhaps, perhaps he'll change his mind and we can go back to changing, calling it Twitter and we can change all those articles that say X brackets, formerly Twitter, close brackets. I, uh, I wonder when we get to stop saying that. I mean, I, I very much doubt it's going to go back to being called Twitter. I doubt it's of... going to be, yeah, I agree. But I also don't think anyone actually calls it X. No, absolutely not. Because every other service or if it's referenced in the news or on a podcast or anything like that, everybody says X, formerly known as Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> and I haven't heard anybody dropping it yet at all. Maybe I don't know if it's too new or yeah, uh, well, or if ever it will be. Will yeah. it ever be dropped? It, maybe it'll be like uh, Marathon and Opal Fruits in the UK. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah which uh, some a lot of people still call Snickers Marathon. I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't because I never liked Marathons in the first... Sorry, Snickers in the first place. However, Opal Fruits... They're uh, more universally known as Starburst. We used to call them Opal Fruits in the UK for a lo very long time. I still call them Opal Fruits. And it doesn't help that they release special editions called Opal Fruits. That just brings it all back. 
as they did last summer. Painful memories. The painful memories of the name, the pointless name change. Yeah. Like that time they changed Oil of Ule into Oil of Ole and Jif Cleaner into Sif. That's the one I was going to (laughs) mention. Now, uh, for the rest of the show, we've got a a bunch of uh, tips and tricks to help you uh, stay secure and safe online, uh, specifically PCs, uh, mostly Windows PCs. Uh, There's uh, bits and bobs that we want to talk about. I um, I mean, I don't... I don't use Windows very often. The uh, family computers, the Windows computer, my personal machines are all Linux. So uh, I will be uh, deferring to Gavin on a few occasions here. However, it's not like I cannot speak without authority on the topic, as, you know, I have used Windows in the past. And I think the best place to start with this is, you know, when there's risks of uh, malware and Trojans and various other, uh, oh, and also the, the increase in ransomware risk, which usually comes via uh, either of the previous and then you've got uh, worms and other viruses that can uh, wreak havoc on your computer and the data it's important to have an antivirus program installed we're basing this on the uh, idea that most people are still using windows 10 and that's not really an idea that's a statistical fact at this point in september sorry in november 2023 when let's face it windows 11 is two years old by now isn't it even older than that, isn't it? Is it older than that? <laughs> three, three years. I can't remember. There you They're go. already talking about Windows 12. It must be ancient by now. Well, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm going to go through a list of the eight best antivirus programs for Windows 10. Now, you should have one of these installed already because it comes with Windows 10, which is Microsoft Defender, which is an absolutely perfect tool. Uh, it's, you know, when it first came along many years ago, it was a little bit naff. These days, it's very good, and for standard use, you shouldn't need, you know, standard browsing, standard computer use, you shouldn't need any more than that. Alternatives include Kaspersky Internet Security, Malwarebytes Premium, Bitdefender Internet Security, which I personally have uh, quite some uh, experience with. I might come back to that in a moment. F-Secure Internet Security, McAfee Total Protection, ESET Nod32, and Norton 360. Now, I just want to say, uh, with regards to Bitdefender Internet Security, I cancelled... This isn't about the software itself. This is about the um, the customer service. I cancelled my subscription to that two years ago. I was still paying for it March this year, and I had to go Ooh. through a lot of um, back and forth because apparently I'd signed up... To, I'd bought it through a reseller, which I wasn't aware of at the time. Um, so it took a lot to get the refund for uh, for this year, not for last year. That you know that's that's gone. Not getting that one back. But so yes, yeah, to get this year's refund back was uh, very difficult. So uh, I would keep that in mind. And you know, uh, I'm not going to say that they're all the same as that, but they th- there are resellers involved and uh, regional sellers. And you may find that you sign up to like a .com or a .co.uk and actually get the .com version. So. Um, that can cause some confusion with uh, payments and what have you. Um, are you. Are you familiar with uh, any of these, or do you rely on um, Defender? Uh, I use uh, Malwarebytes Premium with mm-hmm. Windows Defender. For me, uh, for quite a long time now as well, across all of my computers, that's been the optimum configuration. I don't do a lot of 
um, I don't know what would you say, like going visiting like websites that you would traditionally find malware lurking on, like yeah. uh, torrent sites and uh, it used to be like wearer's sites. The wearer's sites, like yeah. That. Are they still yeah. around? I think they're still about, yeah, they're right. less popular these days because yeah. most streaming and gaming platforms are much better than they used to be. But there's still a dedicated communities out there but yeah the combination of malware by its premium like you said it's 38 bucks a year uh that's one device i think i have the 38 bucks a year subscription and i have it on my main computer and two laptops unless i'm paying more for it and i don't realize mm. <laughs> which could be possible but it's worth it you know it is worth it it keeps everything very very locked down so I um I should add that the reason I was using Bitdefender Internet Security is because I was asked to review it for Make Use of some years ago, and I was really impressed with how good it was, which which is why I stuck with it for uh, so long. And you know, it wasn't oh, a yeah. free, wasn't a fr it was an initially uh, you know it's like they give us code so we can review stuff, and so the initial code was for about two months. But I decided I liked it that much, I decided to pay for it. So that's. Uh, well, that's, that's a glowing reference. Well, it's good. It's a bit Victor Kayam uh, reference for the older <laughs> listener there. Now, all of those um, that we've mentioned, they're all um, you know, the corporate-owned uh, closed software options. There are open-source antivirus tools for Windows and uh, other PC platforms as well. So it's worth mentioning Moon Secure Antivirus, Clamwin, Clam Antivirus, and Amadito antivirus as well and of course you know everything that we're discussing in this week's really useful podcast we will provide links to in the show notes for your further reading and you know if necessary to uh, click the link that you want and download the tool in question uh, gavin have you ever used an open source antivirus tool i've used clamwin actually on this right. list uh that was quite a long time ago though i, I haven't used any of its uh, more recent iterations but i remember it being okay um, is that when you directly is... downloaded or was it on a recovery stick? Uh, no, it was directly downloaded. Right, okay. Um, and I was trying to use it for as my regular antivirus for a while. But uh, I think in the end I gave up for something else. This was quite a few years ago though now, so um, I probably wouldn't be best placed to... to a very long time ago, I was using... I think it was Norton. It was a specific free version of Norton and it was really good but you had to manually download the um, the virus profiles oh that e like weekly. Tiring. yes it was yeah <laughs> I didn't I didn't last actually I lasted surprised I probably lasted about six months doing that to be honest with you because this is back in the Windows XP days where you know the, the, the slightest connection to the internet would cause your computer to shut down every 15 seconds <laughs> <laughs> so our clam a clam win and clam antivirus related somehow i wonder i imagine it's a somewhat unusual name. it is isn't it <laughs> yeah. yes yes yeah i think they are slightly related but uh, it probably goes back a few years so yeah so there's open source versions as well now you know we've we've covered what you should be using in most cases you know, windows defender should do the trick what if You've gone with Norton and McAfee and they decided that uh, you don't actually like them that much or they're, you know, you're paying for something that you don't need or you're sick of, you know, uh, what are those advertising pop-ups called that you shouldn't get because you're already paying? 
Well, those ones. Cool. Um, which what when you're already paying for something and they're advertising yeah. your products. Yeah. Oh, I don't know the specific name for them. They're just like well, advertising, aren't they? Bastardware, is it? Although it probably should yeah. be. <laughs> Channeling Sean Bean there. So, yeah. how to remove Norton and McAfee from your computer is a uh, useful thing to know. Now, we've got a full guide on this. Specifically, you should be able to use Windows tools to manually uninstall as you would any other app. That's what should happen. However... That's what should happen on Windows 10. Now, it might be that you're still using Windows 7 or Windows 8, and that might not be the case. It might not be so easy to uninstall, in which case you need a, a third-party uninstaller tool. Now, before you think, well, why can't I just use the normal uninstall tool that's part of Windows? It's because it doesn't do the job properly. You know, John McAfee himself, that crazy guy who may or may not be dead, because <laughs> apparently there are questions... I just discovered a few days ago. He declared the software, um, you know, long after he'd left the company, as bloatware. So, you know, even the guy behind McAfee Antivirus described it as bloatware. There's a tool called MCPR, which you can download from the uh, Major Geeks website, and uh, that will give you uh, everything that you need to remove uh, McAfee. And there's also a Norton Antivirus uninstallation tool called NRNR. Now, if they don't work, then the only option you've got after that is to do a uh, reset. Now, Windows 10 and 11, they have varying levels of software reset. Uh, um, then reset the operating system, whereas uh, you know older versions do not. And you don't want to get that stage. I remember being at that stage in the XP and Windows 7 days of having software that just would not uninstall and feeling that a full Windows reset reinstallation was was necessary. Fortunately, we don't. We should not be uh, forced down that avenue any longer, Gav. No, I should install regularly through the Windows settings, um, as you've said. Um, but it does tend to linger, doesn't it? And I don't hundred percent know why that is, but I guess it's just the desperation of the tool to keep its claws uh, <laughs> dug deep into your uh, operating system. Uh, but it could also just be the fact that as uh, antivirus programs are designed to be difficult to remove by nature, uh, otherwise malware would take advantage of it being easy to remove uh, and remove it as part of its own installation process. So... Although it does feel at times like these tools are being somewhat scammy and just trying their hardest to, oh, maybe you'll give up and just sign up for another year because you're losing your wits. Um, it's actually to stop antiviruses, um, sorry, and malware from removing them in the first place. It's recommendations time. Uh, the point of the show where we offer you a suggestion of something that we've watched, enjoyed, bought, slept through, etc. I went, I saw the new <laughs> Trolls movie the other night and it was uh, a very welcome opportunity to get some uh, much needed shut eye. Um, that's oh. not my recommendation. Um, <laughs> and I, I tell you what, Gavin, as well, I was in Cine World with the reclining chairs. I slept well. Oh, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> uh, I'm going to let you go first, sir. What, what have you got? 
this week, well, for more than a week, actually, Christian, I've been at, trying to get to grips more with the Spotify AI DJ feature. I don't know if you've used this. No, I didn't. I wasn't aware of this. Yeah, so it, it's like an AI DJ that's built into the Spotify app it um and is now on the desktop app as well right basically hooks into all of your previous listening and just plays music for you all day it changes it up now i've not really had a specific time span actually but some of them it can play for a genre sorry it'll play for maybe half an hour and then it will switch up and it's got an ai voice like an ai voice dj uh voiced by the spotify ceo so what? he comes on every now and then. What? Yeah, yeah. So he comes on every now and then and says like, "Hey, uh, now uh, we're gonna change it up. Uh, you've been listening to some, you know, drum and bass, and now, uh, you know, here's some Joni Mitchell to calm things down again. You know." Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've been trying to get more to grips with it though, and trying to figure out like how long it takes for it to respond to different musical inputs so i spend a lot of time listening to like electronic music because i find when i'm working and typing and editing music with words can be quite distracting right and because of that my spotify ai dj plays almost nothing but electronic music so then i thought i need to try and change this up so whenever i'm not working on something specific now i try and listen to music with words to see how much that uh influences the ai dj and it does seem to have made a bit of a difference um and it's now starting to play a bit more like uh hip-hop rock music that sort of stuff uh every now and then whether i would necessarily 100 percent recommend going to get spotify just to use the ai dj i would say probably not but if you've already got a spotify account and you're already using spotify and especially if you've used it for years um, because it has um, occasionally dug up some like track I used to listen to on repeat like five years ago or something, and I go, oh god, yeah, I remember that. That's brilliant. Like let's let's hear that again. Um, but yeah, you know, it's it's a mixed tool. But if you've got Spotify uh, and you're already using it, definitely give it a go and see what you get. You've described the most insane thing possible on the really useful podcast, <laughs> uh, which uh, you know. We're we're approaching our two hundredth edition, so uh, maybe maybe now's the time to just go mad. <laughs> My recommendation this week is similarly, it is audio. It is a podcast called "We Have Ways of Making You Talk." Are you aware of it? Uh, no, no. What's it about? Oh, right. Okay, so it's a World War Two podcast. Um, it's hosted by Al Murray who in the UK is known uh. as a comedian, and a historian called James Holland. And they take in all manner of World War II, Second World War uh, topics and materials for discussion. They travel around the world. They've recently done an edition where uh, James Holland went to the United States and chatted with some uh, guys who were involved in uh, reenactments and uh, maintaining old gear. They, they literally take out old uh, you know, 1940s tanks. And it's a very, very good show that uh, listeners can get involved with as well because they can send in their thoughts, or they can send in recollections. They can also, even uh, in, the ca in some cases where uh, uh, veterans or people who sadly passed during the war uh, had uh, writ written detailed accounts, th they occasionally get sent in and, and read out. It's a, uh, a bi-weekly podcast that uh, has more 
than just uh, the thing I just re- referred to there is called Family Stories, but they, they have the, the main show as well. And I've recently been listening to their uh, podcast of their live show that they um, did during the summer as well. At uh, well, not just a live show. They actually this podcast is so big it has its own uh, sort of festival weekend. But it's a really oh, good show, cool. and you've got two very engaging presenters. Al Murray knows quite a bit about uh, the Second World War. Uh, obviously, James Holland, being a historian, uh, he knows quite a lot about it as well. And it's a topic which I'm quite keen on, because my, my grandfather, who uh, passed away 27 years ago now, he was in World War Two. He, he uh, signed up around 1940, and we only discovered very recently that he was involved in every major european theater of war wow blimey never spoke about it and it's it's you know listening to this show i think it's a, it's a very good way if you have any uh, relatives or you know people have since passed who were involved in the conflict that uh, it's it's a way of uh, maybe contextualizing things that you didn't know about or weren't aware of or that have come as a surprise or even like behaviour of the people, you know, the departed loved ones. It's a good show. I would heartily recommend it. Ah, that sounds like a really good shout as we approach um, Armistice Day and uh, Veterans Day. Yeah, good shout. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, check that out. This show notes will feature the links to uh, everything we've discussed as ever and uh, we'll be back for another podcast next week. Uh, this You're listening to the Really Useful Podcast, edition 199. What might we do next week, I hear you ask? Well, we'll be back then. Until that time, it's goodbye from us.